Good morning. My name is Jill. I'm the executive pastor of Family Ministry here at Journey of Faith. Thank you so much for choosing to spend part of your morning here with us at Manhattan Beach. And I also love knowing that now, even though we're apart, physically we're connected with our Torrance campus. And I love that we get to share in an experience together this morning. Also, those of you watching online, we're so glad you're here. Special shout out to my mom and dad and family all tuning in from Oklahoma. Thanks for being here, and thank, thank you for the lifelong support. Uh, I'm so excited for this day. So we are in the last message in a series of messages that we have been calling Get Ready. Now, this is based on the idea that Jesus, uh, before he left us, he said, I am coming back again. Now, he didn't give the specific day or time or season, but he did ask that we live in expectation of him coming back. And so what does that mean for how we live our daily lives? Uh, So to answer that question and to look at this idea as a whole, we've been spending a couple of weeks in two books of the New Testament. They are called 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Now the author of these books is Paul, who was one of Christianity's first missionaries. Now if you've missed one of the messages leading up to this one, I would would so encourage you to go to our website, uh, check them out, and watch them. Now last week, Pastor Jason, he ended his message in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5, where he was encouraging the people to uh, carry on, not to focus on what they don't know about Jesus coming back, but to keep their mind on what they do know, that he is coming, they know the end of the story. Now with that certainty, they can carry on with their daily lives. Now that leads us to uh, our main idea for today, because today we're going to be looking at some of the final advice that Paul gave to the people and to us that help them know what to do, help them focus and live presently in their daily life while they're waiting on God to make good on his promise. So here's our main idea. We should pay attention to what's most important as we prepare for Jesus' return. Now, each week we've been looking um, at how while we're waiting on God, we shouldn't just be sitting around not doing much, right? We have important things that we can be doing while we're waiting. So while I was thinking about this idea of just having to sit around and wait, I actually thought about uh, my experience in the car with my family. Uh, Back in 2020, we became a three-kid family, and we quickly realized that there is one suitable vehicle for my family. That's right. It's the glorious minivan. Yeah, woohoo! If you know, you know, right? Anybody else make this transition in life recently? Yeah, now the rest of you might be looking at us and being like, it's just so sad. (laughs) And to give up what they really wanted and just accept this embarrassing fate. And you might be right, but honestly, I don't care. (laughs) Because this car was made for me. The makers of this car, they sat down and they thought through every single thing a parent needs in the car, and they put it in this car. Did you know I have six cup holders? that I can reach from my seat. And you might think, who needs that many cup holders? Me, (laughs) for my thirsty children, right? I also have a viewfinder that I can see my kids anytime I want to. Now you might be wondering why this picture looks funny. That's because it's a night vision. And I just wanted to flex that my car has night vision. (laughs) Right, you can see the baby sleeping right here. Now if I press this button, my voice, goes into these headphones and also, I know, and is also 
the loudest voice in the whole car, right? I know. And if you weren't convinced yet that this is a spectacular vehicle, the makers of this car, knowing that kids have a hard time waiting in the car, they developed an app called How Much Farther. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I do is I punch in the address into our navigation system, and it pipes through to their TV a little screen that shows them exactly how much time is left on the trip. It even has little animals and clouds and airplanes and things to keep them engaged along the way. So when I do this, when I punch in the address and we get going, nobody asks, are we there yet? Ah, for at least six minutes. Right? But that's better than the end of the driveway, which where they have asked before, are we there yet? Now, when they do ask, I just say like, hey, guys, check out the screen. You can know we're still moving forward. You can know that we're closer than we've ever been. Right? But as I was thinking about why they ask, are we there yet? I think that it's just because they lack the words to say, I'm just tired of this. I'm so excited about where we're going. I don't want to be here any longer. This is hard. I'm uncomfortable. I want to do something else. So they just say, are we there yet? And I think that the Apostle Paul knew that the people in Thessalonica would ask similar questions while they were waiting for Jesus' return. Right? They would say, did we miss it? Is it going to get harder than this? How much longer do I have to do this? I just want Jesus to come back already. And he needed to address those questions. Because they're very normal questions, but if left unanswered, they might be prone to being preoccupied by the future, right? Or they may be stuck kind of living in the past and wondering if they'd missed it and what was going on. So the Paul wanted to give them and us some final advice by focusing them to pay attention to some specific areas. And that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, paying attention to our time, our mind, and to one another. So we're going to jump right into the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you, and they give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Now, when you first read this, it might seem like this passage is about authority and spiritual authority, right? Because Paul is asking them to respect and to honor the leaders in the Lord's work. But one thing I want you to make sure that you see is why. Why is it important? What is Paul calling their attention to? And that is their hard work. And hard work is kind of a theme in some of these letters. Because if you keep reading, you see in the next verse, it says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Now we see these two opposites right back to back, hard work and laziness. And that gives us a clue about one area that we can focus ourselves while we're waiting, and that's our time. Specifically, you can be purposeful with your time. Now, it seems like laziness was kind of an issue for the people in Thessalonica. And we know that because in his second letter, Paul addresses this space of their lives again, where he says, stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition that they receive from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. Yet, we hear that some of you are living idle lives refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. 
We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Now, when I got to this section of scripture, I really felt like, whoa, Paul is so bothered by this. And what I mean by that is in the other, in the other sections of Thessalonians, he's like, you guys got this. You know, you're already doing this. You know what to do. I just want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters. I'm here for you. I support you. You got it. And in this one, he's like, I know you know better. And in the name of Jesus, change. <laughs> right? The Apostle Paul is taking their idleness and their laziness very seriously. And so we should take laziness pretty seriously. Now, you might be like, I'm not a lazy person, right? None of us want to believe that about ourselves. But if you pay attention to how you spend your time, you might begin to see different spaces that there might be laziness. So I wanted to understand more about uh, what Paul was speaking to, what was going on with the people that he was warning against or calling out against. So we have a couple ideas. The first one is what we can call end times apathy. Now, uh, there were some of the believers in Thessalonica that were saying, like, Jesus is coming back, so why should I work? Right? I had a friend who uh, took out a really big student loan, and when they were asked about it, they were like, well, Jesus may come back before I have to pay it back anyway, so what's the big deal? Right? There were believers in the church that were like, if Jesus is coming back, why get a job? Why carry out with the normal routines of life? I believe so much that this is happening that I'm just not going to do anything. And they were becoming increasingly burdensome to the other people around them. Now, what they were also doing is they were spiritualizing their idleness. They were saying it's because we believe so much that we are this way. So have you ever done this? Have you ever accidentally spiritualized something you should be doing? I mean, like when you're like... um. You know, I'm just going to wait to do that till I get like the final, final, for sure confirmation from God with a big sign that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Or maybe you've waited for God to open a door without actually looking for the door, just kind of waiting for it to come. So we can do this too. The second one that I want us to look at is this idea of patronage passivity. Now, patronage, uh, in a patronage culture, what happens is the wealthy take care of the physical needs of the poor, and in return, the poor bring honor and bring loyalty and do favors for the wealthy. And so what was happening here was that the wealthy were paying some of the poor Christians to go do things that they probably shouldn't be doing based on their new belief. Uh, Also, they were being paid to go out into the common areas and talk about the wealthy and how good they are and to help people see how wonderful they are. And so they, they were getting into this environment where they were just meddling in other people's business and they were falling into gossip, right? Not only that, they were making an impression on the other people that Christians weren't willing to do hard work. Now, I can really relate to this because who else would like to do less and make more? right? We can feel kind of passive about our time and wanting to get more um, from what we're doing. So I was trying to think through what are some other reasons for laziness, like today kind of reasons that we fall into this trap. And so a couple of things came to mind. Uh, The first one is I was like, um, we just don't have anything to do with our time that's exciting to us, right? So we have time to fill. So we just reach for this because it's the easiest thing that we can find. 
And not only that, whatever we're looking at on our phones, it does give us that feeling of instant gratification. And that feeling feels better than something that might provide longer-term gratification, right? Because that's what's weird about this, is the longer you spend on this, the more you kind of get to this place of like, why am I even doing this? Why am I spending so much time on this? There should be more that I could do. The other reason that I think a lot of us probably in this room have seasons of laziness is because we work so hard that we think that we've earned it. Right? Have you guys ever done that where you just like work as hard as you can and just fire in all cylinders and then you get to this place that you're completely and totally exhausted? So like, you know what I deserve? An entire weekend of neglecting every responsibility of my life while I finish a season on Netflix. Yeah! That's what I get if people are applauding. You should not applaud for that, right? (laughs) But we can find ourselves in this cycle of being so tired all the time that we've earned the right to laziness. And maybe what we need to do instead is find a better balance or a better rhythm in our life so we can move out of that cycle. And let me just say, if you do find yourself in a season of laziness that you cannot get out of, no matter what you try, there might be more going on. So if that's you and you just can't get out of it, come talk to us because we want to come alongside you and help you through that season. Um, But I do want us to to pay real attention here because Paul took this seriously. And so I want us to take this question very seriously when we say, is there an idle area of your life that God wants to fill with purpose and good work? Now, I am not coming after your downtime. Okay, we are actually going to look at a section of scripture next that help us understand how to use that downtime. But I want you to really think about, is there a space in your schedule, in your life, that laziness has crept in? Right? Are you already brainstorming New Year's resolutions when really you could just start now on those things? Or is there a spiritual idleness? Is there something that you know that God wants you to do but you just haven't gotten started on that. Maybe you need to find forgiveness in your heart. Or maybe you need to go out and have a conversation that you've been putting off. Or maybe you finally need to look up a therapist and set up a session where you can begin to heal some of those hurts in your life that are really holding you back. Or maybe are you a little bit like the um, Thessalonians, where you're, you're wasting time and you're prone to gossip and you're meddling in some other spaces, right? Maybe you need some boundaries around what you do with your phone. Um, but I really want you to look, think, consider this question and think, what could I do? What's one thing I could do to turn some idleness in my life in giving it purpose and good work? Now, keeping in mind that the goal here, Paul is not saying you need to be the hardest working people ever, never rest, just keep working, you know, work yourself to the bone, because what he wants us to do next is this really beautiful picture of what our lives can look like. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working hard with your hands, just as you were instructed before you. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. So Paul spells it out really, really clearly for us. He says, make it your goal to live quietly. Now this one I think is really hard for all of us. 
right? And as I was looking more into this idea of quiet and what Paul was trying to sing, I noticed that the word that he uses in his original Greek language says quiet, but it means so much more than just an absence of sound. Paul is describing a a space of just peacefulness, a stillness, and a tranquility. Now, maybe it's the season of life I'm in, but I would pay a lot of money for this, <laughs> right? And actually, why we're here, can we just find this together? We're just going to take a few moments. I want you to calm yourself. You can close your eyes if you want to. We're just going to rest right now and try to find some stillness. Okay, I could probably do this the rest of the message. But some of you hated that, right? And it's because we're so accustomed to there being constant noise and constant stimulation around us. But I think if we fought for it, if we really uh, chose to sit in it, we would find that ourselves, our jaws might relax. We might become more aware. We might actually connect with our thoughts. And once you get there to realizing your own thoughts, Is it quiet? It's certainly not for me. This is an area that's going to take work. And it's because we have a lot of noise that contributes to our life. I learned recently that we, on average, consume more content in the first 15 minutes of our day than someone 100 years ago consumed in one month. That's a lot of content. And while I was here trying to still myself, trying to find peace, a news app pushed through a notification on my watch, and I was like, oh, a planet killer size asteroid is near to us and it's heading this way. Oh, there's a new invasive fungi that's a global threat, right? Also, the um, Gwyneth Paltrow's secret to happiness at 50, which, like, why does turning 50 seem as bad as a planet killer and an invasive fungi, but whatever. I'm sure I'll experience that someday. And so I was curious. um, When I looked at my phone, I opened my settings. You can actually see the average number of notifications that you get per day. Mine's 111. 111 interruptions that find their way into my mind, even if I'm not focusing that on that or inviting those in. Uh, Also, I was curious, so I Googled the amount of time that we... Uh, as a nation, spend watching TV per day, 200 million hours per day that we're watching TV. And how much of that is just background? We're not even paying attention, but we have it on behind us because we're so uncomfortable with the silence, right? This cannot be good for us if what we're trying to find is a calm and still and peaceful life. I actually learned that a good barometer for whether or not something is helpful to my peaceful mind is how I feel when I finally break the connection. Sometimes I'm so stressed, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm like, I'm just going to watch TikTok for a little while, right? So I zone out, and I'm good for a little bit, and then I put that down, and I'm like, I'm still stressed, I'm still overwhelmed, Right? And it doesn't have to be that way. We can pay attention to what we put into our minds to help us live quietly. Uh, Paul actually gives us a, an, a list of things that we can do and we can focus on to help us live a quiet life. 
In another book of his, um, to the Philippians, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. What if this became a filter or a lens with which we chose what goes into our minds? And how might our thought life and our peacefulness be different if we brought these into consideration? I found a quote from a first century Jewish philosopher named Philo. And I love this quote because he agrees that quietness is a goal of the righteous. And in it he says, Why those who pay due honor to excellence cultivate a tranquil and quiet and stable and peaceful life. And the reason I liked this quote is he says you can cultivate this. This is something that each of us can do within us, but it's going to take a little bit of work. How, when was the last time that you chose to be just silent? And you're like, 10 minutes ago, Jill, when you made us. Right? But in your regular life, when have you said, I'm going to put down the distractions, I'm, I'm going to just focus my thoughts on God, and I'm going to bring into those thoughts my anger, my anxiety, and my stress, and my sadness. And as we bring those things and we focus on God, the Bible actually tells us what happens when we do that in the book of Isaiah It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. God says the payoff is perfect peace. And that sounds really good to me, especially as we're moving into the holiday season. So here's an action step for you, and this is a big one. Ready? Schedule one half day between now and Christmas to practice quietness. And I know this is a lot to ask because you guys are going to be busy, right? But I, I can't wait to see what happens when we put in the work and we find this time and we begin to experience what God has for us in terms of a peaceful life. After you do this, tell me how it goes. And two, while we're on the topic of quiet living, let's go back and remember that verse that we saw where Paul also says, mind your own business. Right? Now, this is another one that we have to work extra hard to be able to do because everybody's business is available to us on an unending scroll on our phones and our computer screens. So what if instead of falling into the trap of contributing to the noise and the sound out there by focusing on other people's dysfunction or saying what we think about other people's lives, let's focus on ourselves And then let's bring that peacefulness and that calmness into our interactions, both online and offline. Because we could have a really good impact on others if we bring stillness and peacefulness into our relationships. And that leads us to the last thing that we can focus on today. So we've talked about focusing our time um, and living with purpose. We've talked about focusing our mind and living quietly. And the last thing is to pay attention to one another. We can care for one another. Paul, as he's ending this book, writes this great little passage where he is talking about different kinds of people. And he says, encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all the people. Now, as I was looking at this different, um, the different things here, I was really drawn to this word timid. 
And I think it's because as I was looking into it, I learned that the word that Paul uses here um, is actually, it's not found in any other ancient literature. So we can assume that Paul coined this term as he was trying to describe someone who was little-spirited or small-spirited. And who he was maybe talking about was the people whose present circumstances were just completely diminishing their ability to thrive. They've come into a season where they feel unworthy and unable and just completely lost about what to do next. They find themselves feeling little. Now in that season, Paul is encouraging the people around them to come to them and to build them up again. Remind them, you have a God who loves you. You have a God who cares for you. You have a God who's given you everything you need to get through this season. And even beyond that, we have the opportunity to encourage people to find perseverance and endurance from God. Like Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Now, can you think of anybody in your life right now that seems little-spirited? And can you pray this for them every single day? That in that space of feeling little, God might replace that with this ability or this idea of patient endurance? And can I just say, if you're in the room right now and you feel little-spirited, I see you. And I'm so sorry You're not alone in this, and I've been there too. Before my husband and I could have kids, we spent well over a year uh, trying to have a family. And in that season of infertility, I was so little. It's hard to even remember how little I felt. I didn't know what to do next. I had lost my foundation for what I knew to be true. And I fought so hard to get myself out of that space. And the harder I fought, the littler I felt until I brought people in. And they were able to come alongside me and say, you got this. You can make it through this. Here's a little bit of my hope, right? I'm gonna tell you about how God shows up for me so you can know that God will show up for you too. And in that season, bringing people in made the difference. So if that's you today, find somebody. Don't ignore what's going on to your body and your spirit. Bring others in so we can care for you. We can love you. We can give you the, the resources that you need. And what's beautiful about this section of scripture is Paul's not saying this is the job of the pastors. This is the job of the church and the volunteers. Paul is saying every one of you can encourage those around you. Which leads us to our action step. Take care of one person this week. Now I'm talking about a proactive care, right? Don't wait for someone to come tell you what they need. See the need and take care of it. Send the meal. Write the condolence card. Pop by and offer to babysit or clean their house. Right, for some of you, the most caring thing that you're going to do this year is be patient with your family at Thanksgiving. <laughs> be kind, even if they are not kind. Right, because I love that idea that Paul says at the end of that verse where he says, never stop doing good for each other. 
We have each other for seasons like this when we need a little bit more support. Now, the couple of things that we've been talking about today and really just paying attention, all of them take work, right? But it's the kind of work that God uses to grow us and to renew our faith and to help us have a better understanding of how we live in the end times. So let's just review those really quickly. Be purposeful with your time, live quietly, and care for one another. Now, as we close out uh, this message and also this whole series, I just want to acknowledge that there are some of us who have been waiting on the promise of Jesus for what feels like a very long time. And some of you have no idea what that feels like, but all of us are waiting for something. So if you're in the waiting and you kind of like my kids, when you're like, I'm just so tired of this, I'm going to do anything different than this. I'm ready for this to be over. That's where Paul writes this bit of advice to those of us in that space. Always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. Now, advice like this is kind of tough sometimes because it doesn't do anything to change your circumstances, right? And if your circumstances are so hard that you're seeing a list like this and you're like, nope, not today. I don't feel joyful today. I don't want to pray about this again, right? When you're in that space, this is exactly what you need. Because as we enter into that space with Jesus, and we bring all of the feelings that we have, which he's never unable to handle whatever you're feeling, right? He gives you the perspective that says, you don't have to be joyful for this right now, but there's a lot to be joyful for. And even though you feel like you're praying on and on about it, I'm still listening. I'm still here, no matter what you're doing. And there's a lot to be thankful for. Because no matter what happens in this life, God loves you, and he's coming back again. Now, when I was younger, and I needed a perspective shift, my mom would say, well, at the end of the day, Jesus is still Lord, and you're still going to heaven. So, is this really that bad? And I don't remember liking that when I was a teenager. But I do think that that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get the people in Thessalonica to see. No matter what happens, Jesus is coming back for you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And because Jesus is coming back, we can get ready. Now we're going to close out our morning uh, today with a benediction that I get to speak over you all. So if you could please stand here in Manhattan Beach, also over in Torrance, even online if you're watching wherever you are, please stand. Hey, I also wanted to say if you need prayer today or encouragement or even resources, we have an amazing team of volunteers who are waiting to pray with you. They'll be over here at the left side of our auditorium near the cross. So please connect with them after the service. So let me just speak these words that come from Paul as we're in this season of waiting. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And you can be certain he will come again because he is a God who keeps his promises. So may you stand firm and keep strong May Jesus himself, who loves you so much, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. 
amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.